to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. Hello, this week I have with me Emil Kaus, who is a special educator, a PhD student. He is the vice chairman of the National Executive Committee of Autism of South Africa, and he represents neurodiversity at the Commonwealth Disabled People's Forum. He is our first self-advocate, long overdue guest at affectautism.com. I am Daria Brown. Emil, welcome to Affect Autism. Thank you, Daria. It's a privilege to be here. And thank you for allowing me to speak on your podcast. Well, it's, it's so exciting to have you because we need to, in the, the field of neurodiversity that's growing and growing, we need more and more voices and self-advocates involved. And because this is a podcast mostly for parents, but also for practitioners of DIR floor time, it's so wonderful to hear from a self-advocate. And I'll tell the listeners that the way that I came to meet Emil was through the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning's DIR floor time conference in November, where he presented a, a presentation entitled Living with Autism Spectrum Disorder, an auto-ethnography of Emil Kaus, and that was the title of his thesis that he did uh, for his master's. Is that correct? Yes, that is the title of my thesis that I've done uh, on my master's degree, and it also um, it's going to follow up on my PhD degree that I'm doing now, which is a follow-up master's degree, where I will focus on my experiences as an autistic student at university. And the purpose is how we can adapt university facilities to accommodate students that's different, as well as students on the autism spectrum. It's fantastic. Um, not only do we worry as parents about our children's future, and you as a 27-year-old who's accomplished, you're educated, you're now independent, um, you're going to tell us a little bit about the struggles you have as well, you're also in a relationship with an autistic woman. And to see that not only are you, quote unquote, functioning in society, but the fact that you're advocating for all of our kids, too, and on our kids' futures is just so incredibly uplifting. So um, you are so inspiring to, to parents and give us a lot of hope. And I'll tell you, at your conference at ICDL, <laughs> there wasn't a dry eye amongst the parents listening to your story. We were, we were all so emotional because, you know, we're worried so much about uh, the future for our children and hearing your story really was something else. So um, why don't we start by you describing a bit about your childhood and why you decided to um, accept your position at ICDL as a senior advisor to ICDL, the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning, which is the home of the Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based Model, DIR Floor Time. Well, Daria, to start off is that the road was not easy. It was a long, tremendous, long road, but they, it had its learning curves and also it had its opportunities as well for growth. Um, the reason why I'm sitting here is due to the support of a mom. Uh, my mom sacrificed her life 
for me. I was diagnosed at the age of three and a half years, and it was actually as a specialist educator at the pre-primary school that noticed that I portrayed ASD tendencies. The tendencies that I portrayed was the following. I didn't communicate. I didn't make any eye contact. I was continuously isolated. Uh, I made use of non-verbal hand gestures to, ex to express myself. When I was frustrated, the non-verbal hand gestures would be portrayed on the playground or even in the classroom. I was also generally frustrated with students. I remember there was an instance where I actually bit the child out of frustration. And um, the teachers noticed that. And as any teacher, as well as any principal, they will phone the parent, tell the parent to come in, to in for a session or for a meeting. And they recommended to my parents that I, that I need to receive occupational as well as speech therapy, but I first need to get evaluated. So my parents went to the university, the local university was Rao, now the name changed to University of Johannesburg. And after a session or two with, with them, I was officially diagnosed. And I recommended, again, like the teachers, like the principal, occupational speech therapy and like I said it was a continuous um, it was a continuous process where I received occupational therapy speech therapy and uh, educational psychologist assisted my parents from the age of three and a half years till the age of nine years um, yes um, every weekend it was therapy and my, my mom also assisted me with the therapeutic um, intervention in the afternoons or even over weekends. And we also, um, I also participated in, in extramural activities to improve my grass motor and my fine motor skills. I made use of, I did swimming, I played tennis, um, and I did karate, I played potpourri. To improve my muscles and um, this occurred um, even throughout my school career as well um, but the fact is that I couldn't communicate spontaneously and um, although I was placed into a mainstream school I still had challenges to communicate and I had general challenges that the child on the autism spectrum experience um, planning organization was a big problem and I was also non-verbal to, to the age of 15, so I couldn't communicate. I couldn't share my experiences to my parents or spontaneously. And, and, and yes, students noticed that I was different. Teachers noticed that I was different. And, did, did you um, say you were, were non-verbal till 15? I was non-verbal where I couldn't uh, communicate spontaneously, yes. 15 yeah. years old. Yes, but now you must remember that the term non-verbal refers to the child's ability not to be able to communicate verbally, but the child has got the words in the in their heads. They've got the formulated sentences, but they're struggling to pronounce it okay. throughout numerous reasons. 
and um, and this um, and I made use of nonverbal hand gestures to communicate, to express myself, um, and my mom couldn't understand that. And during the day at school, I would put, I would I would receive education, but during the afternoons, I would. I would express my arm over the hand gestures without saying a word to my mom. Just the hands were flat. Um, and that was my way of expressing myself verbally, portraying my emotions. And my mom's responsibility was to keep me calm and to identify what caused it. What was the reason why I portrayed non hand gestures? And like any mom does, they do problem solving, try to identify the challenges, and my mom assisted me in the afternoons. So you can basically say that my mom combined homeschooling with mainstream schooling as such, because in the day I would receive mainstream schooling, go to mainstream school, receive my homework in the day. Do not, do not, um, I would not be able, I will, I will not do the work in classroom due to sensory overload or I will struggle struggle to listen to instructions due to sensory blindness, visual blindness, as we refer to it, whereby I cannot see the faces due to the heavy sensory overload in the classroom. And um, this affected my academic performance. And in the afternoon, myself and my mom would sit and we would do the content all over the, all, all over again. And, you know, and like I said, you know, it it was an it was it was a routine. It was every day I sat to have homework um, till after school until late that night. And um, this occurred from my primary school career. Now when I attended um, high school in American terms, it will, it will be college um, or elementary school. I uh, my parents decided to make the process easier by um, by um, by registering me um, at a Ramiro High School or Ramiro School rather. Um, remember that we come from I come from middle class family, so my parents couldn't afford the private school, and the enrollment into a Ramiro High School was I think that is where everything changed because I was the, I was in a small environment. The classrooms were smaller, the work was simplified and organized. And, um, and from there about, I could function academically. Um, what also um, was what, what was also significant in the time, it was the first time that I could speak in full sentences. And I would be I would able to express myself. I will remember one day I came home and I would speak. My mom would, would usually ask me, um, if throughout my primary school career, my mom would usually ask me, me, I was your day. And I would not say anything. And if I was to say, I would put on humble and gestures. And one one afternoon, getting the ask, getting my, I think it was my first week in a remedial school, when my mom asked me, me, I was your day. And I just started to speak in full sentences. And I think she, she, my, it made her very happy and she couldn't believe it. So it just shows you what, how, how continuous stimulation, exposure, as well as a small environment contributes towards the child's functioning abilities. So um, to come back to my high school career, 
Um, everything went well. And this is also the time that I started to work independently. Yes, there was still hard work and my mom needed to assist me. But like I said, I was coached in a way by my mom that I, in a way that I felt competent to complete my work independently. And um, and yes, and and I received university exemption after my final exam, matric, and decided to go study education. And the rest is history. Yeah, I am. Wow. Well, we will definitely get into that. But I have a few questions about what you shared so far. Um, it, it, it is incredible because what we see in our children is really very different than what they're experiencing in a lot of cases. So you're describing your experience and all of a sudden you had um, spoken in sentences where people might assume that because you weren't speaking in sentences, you weren't able to, or you didn't understand language structure, but it sounds to me like you had been assimilating and learning it all along and then just something clicked that then you were able to verbalize. Yeah, um, you must remember that um, there's numerous um, factors that, ought, that, also, that also contribute towards my, um, my abilities to communicate and to speak. Number one, um, I think it all has to do with early intervention that I received from a speech therapist as well as the occupational therapist that assisted me. Um, you know, um, continuous therapy and also therapy didn't stop at the therapist. It continued in the afternoons, over weekends. Uh, it was continuous hard work um, and also continuous stimulation from my mom um, assisted me um, with communication. Um, and yes, and it took me years to be able to 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 do that. And um, and like I said, you know, continuous stimulation, exposure, um, and also the surroundings also contribute a lot to my verbal abilities. And um, parents must understand that, you know, it was a long road. It wasn't. Um, it was. It, it didn't occur overnight. It was hard. Lots of hard work patience, determination, um, you know, I heard lots of nights when my mom cried. My mom continuously asked herself, you know, what will happen with my child? Will my, will my child be able to verbalize himself or verbalize his emotions rather? And um, yeah, and like I said, my mom never gave up um, and she kept working and she never gave up because she believed that, that I've got the abilities to communicate, I've got the abilities to function, and I've got the abilities to function independently. And I think that's what makes a difference. A parent that supported the child and did not give up. Yeah, it really is an amazing um, accomplishment for your mother. And I imagine that um, from your point of view, had she not believed in you, it might have been a very different story. Uh, yes. Um, and also remember, um, we tend to refer to um, mommies on the autism spectrum as warrior mommies because you, when you suddenly hear that your child has been diagnosed with autism, you know, it's like 
it is like a a bomb that erupted in front of you. You know what's going to happen, and you tend to ask the, your questions again. What will happen with my child? Will my child? I will my child be like other children? Will my child be able to function independently? And um, and yes, and remember also that parents parents are confronted with general stigmatization in public, uh, at schools as well, as well as at, at communities, community practices like churches, shopping centers. You know, um, will your child be accepted in these environments? You know, you've got even family members that question the child's abilities, uh, question the parents' um, methods of the or the parents methods of parenting and um yes it was it was a continuous continuous um struggle and like i said you know you're basically there to defy the odds and you're breaking barriers down because you be you are self-advocating for your child and i think that is what makes a difference and it's a common theme where you will say it's you and your child against the world. And that is what my mom tried. We worked with occupational therapists. We created a bond with, a with the therapist. And that's why I am a firm believer in the support of, 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 of early intervention as well as the support from occupational speech therapists. Um, the relationship is extremely important, as well as teachers. The role of a teacher is extremely important for the child's functioning. And with that community of practice, you know, I was, be able, I was able to achieve my goals with the different role players that, that, that played in our lives. Yes, and you use the term community of practice, and I think um, the way we've spoken about it on the podcast um, is multidisciplinary, multidisciplinary approach, interdisciplinary approach, where it's a team from different disciplines that are all on the same team and develop that deep relationship, relationship being the R in the DIR model that's so essential to helping the child's development thrive. Yes, the, the community of practice is actually a term that we used to refer to in the education system. Uh, where the teacher is in the role of, is in the middle of the community uplifting the students. But referring to the neurodiversity, it blends so nicely in because all of us has got a similar purpose. And specifically now, if we look at the 21st century, it's parents, it's specialists, it's service providers, it's teachers, it is autism um, self-advocates, it is... Uh, all of us plays an extreme role. Um, even your schools that plays, uh, plays extreme role. We all need to work together. Disability organizations, autism awareness campaigns, autism awareness organizations. We all need to work together in order to achieve a common goal. Um, we, must, I, we must be able to share knowledge with each other. You know, I believe that, um, I'm a firm believer looking currently now at the, at the neurodiverse population, is that we've got tremendous amount of knowledge um, with regards to early intervention, with regards to personal experiences, parents that that's share their experiences, parents that's coming out of the comfort zone and speak, advocating for their child. Self-advocates, whether, um, whether you are um, on the 
high functioning or low functioning side of the spectrum, or whether your um, whether you, your social economic circumstances differ. You know, all of us has got a great role to play in this role, and I think our role is bigger. It's got a big purpose. We need to advocate to to ensure that 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 society can include individuals on the autism spectrum. And we are advocating for inclusive, accessible for society, where there's no barriers. We are also, ex we are also advocating for inclusive education system, because like I said, all children or all adults on the autism spectrum has got a purpose in life. And we need to provide them with an equal opportunity to be a citizen, a contributing citizen in society. Yes, I couldn't have said it better myself. That's what we all want for our children. And that's what everybody should aim for a society uh, to see the value in all of the citizens. And that's very powerful. And I think um, the first step in doing that is educating people who don't know anything about autism. And one of the things you brought up that stood out to me was sensory blindness that you experienced in the classroom. And I wondered if you could describe what that is because maybe some of our children have that too and we don't know what that is and what they're experiencing. Well, um, and I think this is the uniqueness of the spectrum because all of us has got unique abilities. All of us has, has got unique challenges, if I might call it. Um, sensory blindness is another way of sensory overload. Now, um, my sensory challenges that I experience is, is in a big overpopulated environment where I cannot see the faces of people. And I think um, this affected my academic function, fun functioning abilities, um, as well as in a big overcrowded environment like a shopping mall or a um, big overcrowded space. And um, when that occurs, specifically, remember it's all neurological and uh, it's the brain's ability to protect himself. If you, if you refer to common psychology, the, neuro, the neurological development, your brain um, takes in too much sensory overload and as such, it protects himself. And therefore, in my case, my visual sight will be diminished. Um, and um, just for a short period of time, and in this situation now, um, you tend to have a choice between fight or flight that comes in now. If you take the fight response, you will stay in the situation. You will confront the situation. You will stay in the environment. You will learn. You will adapt. But in some of our cases, individuals in the autism spectrum will portray the flight response. And flight... The flight response can occur in different manners. For instance, for a autistic child, he, he, will, he won't be able to portray limited eye contact. He will portray limited eye contact, um, general avoidance, um, hiding, not participating in communication, being quiet. Um, so, um, yes, it was a continuous fight or flight. Um, the choice that one has. And I think, um, and I think that's why we refer to autism spectrum disorder as a lifelong disorder because or uh, it's it's a lifelong uh, I would say it is a lifelong 
um, syndrome rather because you are, will be continuously confronted with continuous challenges throughout your life. You know, um, and I think in my case, I tended to turn to it as a positive, on the positive side, because um, I, I, I grew up according to a socio-ecological model where I believe that I've got strengths, I've got abilities, and I can function in society. Yes, I might have my challenges, but I can still function independently. And, um, and my parents believed in my capabilities. And, and yes, so um, the socio-ecological model was present throughout my life. And um, I, I, tend to, um, I tend to adapt my behavior to fit in because if I do not, if I portray the flight response in any situation, I won't be able to learn and enjoy the moment. And that was my motto throughout my 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 childhood, um, and I think that is why that is what my mom believed in also. And I took this now, I took her teachings now, and I would I will implement that for in my life. So, what's the best way for parents to help their children avoid the flight? So, whether it be hiding, or retreating, or even having a tantrum. What, what I've talked about on the podcast with other guests is that feeling of safety and acceptance yes. and comfort. Well, um, uh, it also, it depends on child, each child. And um, like I said, each child is unique and each parent knows their child's capabilities. They know their child's dislikes, likes. So it depends from child, from parent to parent, child to child. But um, it's the ability of the parent to identify what works for the child, what, what environments um, makes them feel comfortable, what environments makes them uncomfortable, um, what, um, what environments are friendly. Um, the, the, it depends also on the people that's involved. Both the people accept um, your child, will the people involved understand if your child has a tantrum or a meltdown? And um, also, um, we tend to refer to different coping mechanisms parents can implement that can help a child function. Um, myself and a fellow autism self-advocate, uh, we are both on the board of autism South Africa, and Myself and him, well, he actually started with this um, and I adapted it according to my students where I teach. I tend to refer to it as the Autism Survival Kit. Now, the Autism Survival Kit is basically a general kit depending from, from, from an individual on the autism spectrum uh, that will help you to cope. It can be either through headphones, it can be music, it can be can be anything that it can be even a, a sensory blanket, anything that will help you cope in the environment you can take with. And if you feel overwhelmed, you can use it. And and I must say that it helps us to keep calm and also it it contributes a lot to the participation of the individual. So like I said, um, 
each parent can adapt their emergency autism survival kit. While we refer to it as an emergency kit, like I said, each parent can use it um, according to, the, to their child's needs. And um, it's all about the child functioning in the environment. What will, what will make the child feel comfortable? And, um, and yes, so it depends from parent to parent, definitely. And it certainly is a balance because I hear you say over and over again, and I've heard Temple Grandin say this too, that her mother challenged her and made her do things so that she would learn. But at the same time, we don't want to overwhelm our kids so much that they're just too overwhelmed to learn. Uh, yes, definitely. Um, you must understand specifically with regard to my mom is that and I think for any parent, you want the best for your child. And each parent knows their child's capabilities. And for for my mom, my mom, my mom knew what's my capabilities. And the fascinating thing about me is that when I sat with my mom during, during our one-to-one -one therapy sessions, if I might call it that, homework sessions that we had, I never ever said no. I didn't tell her, mommy, I don't want to do this anymore. I persevered. And I think it also has to do with the child's um, ability as well to the inner motivation. Um, and um, my mom, my mom um, encouraged me to, to, to participate and to, um, and she encouraged me to persevere. And, you know, and, um, like I said, if it wasn't for that, I won't be able to sit here. And it was continuous hard work, determination, and and specifically the assistance from key role players who assisted me throughout my childhood. Um, definitely played a, a fantastic role in my development, and they were key towards my success. So, um, so definitely, um, yes, the road was was long. And throughout each development stage, you've got a little bit speed, speed bump. Everything will be smooth, and then you will get the speed bump. It happens with the autism spectrum. But, you know, the secret was that you need to keep pushing. And I think that was my mom's uh, motto as well, is that you never give up. Persevere, be determined, and um, succeed. And, um, and... Yes, uh, there was no replacement for hard work. And um, definitely, I'm here today because of a mom, a mother's support. Definitely. Is there anything that you would say that parents should avoid doing? Well, I, I must say that um, parents, I believe that in your own environment, you've got a specific structure in which you parent your child. Um, again, you know your child's capabilities. You know what works for your child. Um, I think as parent, you need to believe in your child's capabilities. But you must also make sure that you provides positive reinforcement to the child, encouraging, you know, making, make learning opportunities fun for your child. Um, 
make sure that your child um, make sure that your child is happy. Um, with regards to autism spectrum, um, you will you will need to create a structure in terms of routines, in terms of um, in terms of screen time. You need to make sure that all of these measures are in place in order for your child to function. But um, like I said, uh, as parent, uh, you need to be sensitive to what your child needs. You need to portray empathy and. The one thing that I must that I must that I can say from a parent's point of view is that um, as parent you must you must never ever 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 give up despite the comments that other people make specifically the outside um, and I believe that um, as parent you know your child's best you know your child's capabilities best and remember we we're, we're all about social upliftment. You know, knowing your child's capabilities, um, reinforcing your child's abilities, encourage him to encourage him um, to do to to be the best that he can be, and um, and also you need to work on your child's self-esteem as well, um, and provide him a healthy lifestyle and make sure that your child um, functions to the best of his abilities. And I think that's the key to success, to, to success, providing that structure, but also adapting the routines according to your child's abilities and be the best that you can be and continuously supporting your child. Uh, that's key. Thank you. That, that's very helpful. Um, related to that, I know that... Um, the outside judgment is a big thing. And you said, don't give into that and, and have faith in your child's abilities. When you have children, especially who aren't speaking, people assume that they're slow, they're, they aren't intelligent, or they're much younger than they are developmentally. When you were in school, and maybe people were thinking that about you, what was going on inside? Were you able to follow lessons? Were you learning? Were you learning reading, writing, math, all of those things, even though people might have thought you weren't as intelligent as you are? Well, to be honest um, with you, look, um, and I think it comes back to the support that I received. I could read before I could speak spontaneously. And that was um, one of the benefits. And I believe that to this day, that it was part of my academic functioning. And um, depending on the multiple intelligences, yes, I struggled with mathematics um, and specifically with different concepts. And I think um, it's a general problem with, with, with students on the autism spectrum. Um, planning organization remained the problem. And yes, students realized that I was different. And yes, unfortunately, I became a victim of emotional and physical abuse due to the challenges that I experienced. And um, there were times there that I wanted to avoid. And there were times where I questioned my abilities. I would not say it to anyone because I struggled to communicate spontaneously. But I was continuously thinking in my head, what's wrong with me? Why can't you do this? Why are you struggling? While other students can do it to the best of their abilities. And um, 
and I, and I attended to question and and um, my mom supported me in afternoons and I think that also led to the meltdowns and frustrations that I had at home, the nonverbal hand gestures and um, and I think that's where all of the parent comes in because my mom found the root of the problem and she advocated for me if you refer to the school um, bullying as well as um, teachers, my mom went every day to the school um, to find out homework. If there was a challenge emotionally and socially as well as academically, my mom was there every day at school to support me and um, to find out what's the homework that I will have, um, what happened, why is in your portraying this sort of behavior, why is he frustrated, um, why does he portray self-soothing, um, like um, we tend to refer to it as um, I would say um, scratching in order to get rid of the frustration but uh, my mom um, was there for me and also when I grew older we had the assistance of a school psychologist in the Romeo school assisted me with emotional challenges that I went through that bothered my self-esteem so there was there was a lot of key role players and um, yes and it affects one's mental health, if you think about it, specifically as a student grows older or a teenager grows older, young adult grows older. Um, specifically, uh, mental health is actually quite a big issue with regards to autism spectrum disorder. And I, th I believe that all of this can contribute a lot towards one's mental health um, as an adult on the autism spectrum, and which can eventually lead to um, depression and um, and I believe that through continuous support um, you know I was able to 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 be I was able to function and I was able to 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 have a positive self-esteem so yes it was um, not easy and like and I think that's what what um, similar to the and I think that's when I refer to the autism spectrum is that um, we tend to refer to the spectrum as lifelong because we tend to have similar challenges throughout our lives. Um, you know, the general anxiety, the sensory overload, your, and also the continuous fight or flight will be there in any situation, whether it's at someone's, uh, whether it's in a familiar environment or unfamiliar environment, you will continuously have that choice, fight or flight. You will always have the sensory overload. You will continuously um, um, have the challenges of organization and planning, and um, and I believe that it's up to also up to the to, to society as well to make sure, or the people that's involved to make sure that you function to the best of your abilities. So yes, it um, they, it's a there's a couple of role players that contributes towards your functioning abilities. But um, like I said, it was a tremendous uh, up and down road specifically. Yes, I, I can imagine. Um, it's, it's, there's so many moving pieces that all contributed. Like you said, it's not one thing or another. It's just over time, hard work over and over again, lots of support from lots of different people on a team that really brought you to where you are today. And um, I was wondering if you were actually raised bilingual. 
did you speak English and Afrikaans together or? Uh, well, to be honest with you, uh, I grew up in an Afrikaans household. Um, both of my parents speak Afrikaans, my brother is Afrikaans. Um, although, I, although I grew up with English people, um, for instance, um, my grandmother had, had like a small daycare at the house when I was younger, before preschool. And she, and she also um, had other children that was English. So through that, I, my English and I would also read lots of books. Um, I would read lots of books. For instance, what also contributed towards my, my ability to become verbal was the fact that my mom stimulated me and she linked it with my interest. For instance, I read books about sports. Now, personally of me, I love sports. So I could basically tell you, if you tell me, let's, if you tell me, any date of any rugby player, I would tell you where was he born, how many statistics. I would give you a general overview. And I think that's also one of the strengths of an individual autism spectrum. We've got a long-term memory, which is outstanding. That's the unique abilities that we have. Yeah, so, um, yes, so it was also continuous stimulation with English books that I read um, academically, as well as for fun, for leisure, and um, definitely. Yeah, it contributed a lot towards my function. Yeah, because you're completely fluent in English. So it's it's really an incredible story. <laughs> uh, thank um, you. Yeah, with the Afrikaans accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I was wondering, um, what does neurodiversity mean to you going forward? And because it, it's so much around the work that you do now. Well, as an autism self-advocate and representative for Commonwealth Disabled Peoples Forum, I believe that each individual on the autism spectrum has got unique abilities. And I think the neurodiverse movement actually started in the early 2000s, if you think about that, because we tend to look at at the autism spectrum, where you've got different variations of the spectrum, uh, which includes ADHD, ADD, uh, dyslexia, alexia, dyscalculia, um, epilepsy, all of this um, is all of these individuals on the autism spectrum, whether they are functional or low functioning, forms part of the spectrum. And as such, the neurodiverse movement is all about the ability for the individual to function in their unique way and for us to get a set acceptance in society. Um, and I think this contributes and this corresponds with the UN's goal of 2030, where we are fighting for equal society on different, on different fronts. I mentioned education, accessible technology, um, employment, right? Um, and um, the reason why I say employment is due to the fact that the unemployment rate is extremely high in the neurodiverse community as such, and specifically to low income countries. So um, it's all about getting acceptance from society and also the movement 
also says a lot about the individual's unique abilities to be function. The individual's ability to function in society according to the best of their abilities, despite the unique the unique abilities that they have. And also, if you're going to refer to the the challenges with social interaction, um, and also the common barriers that we face, but we tend to use the term, and I think Temple Grandin also used the term different but not less. We are, we are different. Yes, we've got unique abilities, but it doesn't make us less than anyone. And I think this movement started, actually started to, to, to get embraced by different parts of society where we are, where everyone starts to notice neurodiverse individuals, but the work is not done. We, it's a continuous struggle and it's a, a fight that all parents, individual spectrum, everyone, MPOs, DPOs are fighting for inclusion. And like I said, we are ensuring that our students or our children are, are being recognized. And I think that's what makes the neurodiverse movement so special is that we're referring to the difference, the brains, the different brain type, but we also refer to the abilities of the individual as part of an equal society, free from discrimination. That individual that's got unique, uh, that's got a unique ability, has got a purpose in life and they need to fulfill it. Well, thank you so much for all the work you do. And is there anything else that you wanted to share with us today? Well, um, and I think one of the common things that, um, or the common questions that individuals on the autism spectrum, self-advocates also have is with regards to um, having relationships with someone. Um, and I'm in a fortunate position to be in a relationship with another autistic adult. Um, and if I might mention her name, her name is Sammy, and she is, and you know, she, uh, she, she's, she plays a major part in my life due to the fact that, you know, we understand each other. We are, we, we, we've got similar challenges in terms of sensory overload, um, but we embrace each other's unique abilities and that's what's special. And it's come to show that each autistic individual has got someone in their lives. Um, and it's, it's um, and I think, you know, the social side of autism in terms of relationship, it's a common challenge. Um, if you refer to communication, if you refer to the creating, creation of social relationships. And I think it's just something that I struggled with throughout my university career as well. Um, as someone who spoke late, so you spoke fluently late. Um, after the age of 15, 16, 17, I started to speak in fluent sentences and this affected my, um, and this contributed a lot towards my anxiety in social situations where I, where I struggled to communicate, where I struggled to share my emotions, 
when by the time I entered university, I struggled. I didn't know how to start a conversation, how to end a conversation. I then I struggled to understand humor. Uh, yes, I still do, but it's a common challenge. But I tended to get used to the patterns, uh, and it was a common challenge that I that I experienced. And it was also a psychologist at university who assisted me, who coached me through each stage. And she taught, and she we basically did role play, different situation, how to react. And I think when it comes back to relationships. It was a, a stress in my life because, yes, um, we tend to be individuals. We tend to be alone. You know, they tend to refer to us as as um, we are in a bubble world, our own world where we are happy place, where we are, um, we tend to refer to the imaginative world free from stresses. But sometimes it gets lonely, um, specifically if you grunts grow older and... Um, and I think this contributed a lot to what you mean, Ralph. And my um, and my biggest, also one of my biggest um, desires was, yes, I want to function. Yes, I wanted to contribute to society. But one of the things that I also wanted was to be in a relationship with someone. I wanted someone who can um, who can support me. Someone who can someone to chat to. Someone who who understands you, and I was quite lucky to have Sammy, to, uh, Sammy who came up in my life, and we were basically met each other at the autism conference, and um, although we didn't speak, we, we didn't speak to each other, we, we met later on a autistic um, self-advocacy group, and yeah, so um, yes, so I think, you know, what's unique about this is that we you know, we tend to refer to ourselves and people tend to refer to us as a fellow couple because we, we've we got our own challenges, but we embrace it and we are fighting and we are, we are being inspiration for, to everybody and giving hope to parents, giving hope to other South Africans. And I think it's necessary. It's, that's what we need. We need that little bit of encouragement. We need that little bit of determination. And we need to give out that positive message. Okay. And the passion in your words is very clear when you talk about that. So I think mm -hmm. it is your mission and um, I think you're going to go far and I'm really excited to be part of the ICDL team with you and look forward to speaking with you again if you'll come back sometime. No, of course. Thank you, Daria. You know, Daria, um, I feel that it's my purpose to, to fight and I have to fight for inclusive for, for inclusion, not only for for students in the autism spectrum, but also for all this, this disabled people. You know, comes to come to come to think of it, I see my role change throughout the years where I started to become a voice for not only for individuals on autism spectrum, but for all disabled people. And you know, it's a general fight that we have in order to make sure that we've got inclusive society, um, to make sure that we've got equal education, to make sure that we've got, that we've got employment for everybody, to make sure that we've got, that, that we've got accessible society, 
a society that doesn't discriminate against each individual despite their disability, their unique abilities for accessible healthcare. And I think this COVID-19 pandemic, the, the, this pandemic recently, actually didn't bring on new challenges. It just exposed our challenges that we had. And um, I believe that we are here for a purpose and general accessibility is a right, not a privilege, it's a right. And I believe that um, the community of practice, we all work together for a purpose. And I will just be glad if I can contribute to that purpose, creating awareness and make sure that we've got accessible society for all, because that's what parents need. That's what we need. We need to advocate and create change. Thank you. Thank you, Emil, so much. Um, if anyone has comments, questions, or relevant experiences to share, please put your comments at the blog at affectautism.com. If you're watching this on YouTube, there'll be a link to the blog post. If you're listening to this on audio, affectautism.com, you can search for Emil, E-M-I-L-E. -E. And um, thank you, Emil, so much. And thank you, listeners. And keep, keep posted for uh, watching Emil's progress in the future. He's one to look out for. Thank you, Emil. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great opportunity. And Thank you. Thank you for the work that you do with RCDL and I'm looking forward to work with you and the team. Thank you. Thank you. You too. If you're a caregiver looking to implement your own floor time approach, please check the ICDL parent website at the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning for a virtual floor time consultation or for the weekly parent support meetings. We aim to help you implement your program at home using the Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based Model, or DIR, taking into account your child's developmental level, their individual differences, and using your relationship with them to help promote and support their development. Until next time, here's to affecting autism through playful interactions.